0: Howdy, everybody. You are about to listen to part one of a two-part discussion that Paul and I have on this growing movement of deconstruction. Uh, We get into what that is and the differences and the intricacies, Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Um, And so just keep that in mind that there is going to be a part two. Um, And also keep in mind that whenever we speak of deconstruction, um, there are there are examples, there are instances where, um, church, churches mistreat people and there are beliefs that should be, um, reconsidered and tossed out. Um, know that if and when we talk, um, harshly or negatively about such topics, we are not speaking of real instances of abuse or, um, cult-like behavior, but, but, Anyways, I hope that you very much enjoy this discussion, this uh, deconstruction, and um, something people call uh, ex-evangelicals. This is really big with younger people. So even if you don't really care about it, keep in mind that the next generation is up against this type of thinking. Hope that you enjoy the episode. All righty, and we are back with, Fourth or fifth? I don't even know what episode we're on anymore. I think this would be fourth. Yeah, I think you're right. Anyways, welcome back to Sybil Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant. I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing good. Doing, doing well.
0: Good. How? What is the proper? Is it, I'm there doing are, well? There are certain grammar Nazis, like my friend Lance Henderson, who would stop you and tell you, well is the correct way. I'm doing well. Those people are some of the worst. Here's a shout out to Lance. I'm doing well. Don't instigate him to keep doing it (laughs) though him doing that actually has corrected me and now i always say well
1: yeah actually no i don't no i do not you just asked me how i was and i said other than that you're pretty good i think i learned doing good as just sort of a folksy way of saying it not necessarily trying to be proper but i yeah i do know it's i do know it's supposed to be well i just always forget and i go back to the folksy yeah yeah no that's true that's
0: true. I always say y'all, and everybody always asks if I'm from A&M. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not from frickin' A&M. But that's from Texas. not just
1: an A&M thing. That's a Texas thing. Yeah, but people still ask.
0: And I'm like, no,
1: it's just a Texas thing. Yeah. It's also you know, a good word. Like, it makes sense. So I, I moved from Pennsylvania to Texas, and it um, took me a little while to get familiar with y'all, but I like it. Rolls off the tongue nicely. Who's going to take the time to say you all? (laughs) Yeah. That's so much
0: more effort. (laughs) Yes. And you just sound like, if I hear you all now, I'm like, okay. All right. Get off your high horse. My
1: wife, when I met her, um, she had an interesting, she said was a Texas phrase. And I'm like, I don't think so. She would say might could. We might could do that. And I'm going, no, 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 no. We might do it. Or we could do it, but there's there's no there's no um, language that mashes the two words together and say we might could. I I I didn't accept that one. So I feel like I've heard that used before, but it's yeah, from probably like, my wife. Maybe, but like I feel like I've heard it from more like what you
0: well, I guess what we would call the 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 Hicks. <laughs> And
1: so, very surprising that Charlotte has appropriated that word. For yeah, because she's far from that. She's yeah, very sophisticated and yeah. all things mannerly.
0: Yes. No. My one rule, like with with this, this restaurant named China Bowl, and it's it's you know, it's I love China Bowl, and Paul likes China Bowl. No, he like China but you Bowl. go there, kind of. At least I do. I go there expecting. I'm probably going to hurt a little bit after this, <laughs> and. I know that they, did, they they failed a lot of health codes in the past, um, but it also has carpet, and so my rule for Charlotte is I don't think she would eat anywhere that has carpet. No, I don't, I don't think she would. Yeah, so that really just makes a lot of sense. But, but yeah, so moving on to our subject today. Our um, subject today. I think that it kind of rolls well with what we started to talk about, um, I guess, halfway through last episode which was interpreting Scripture. But um, today we're going to talk about this big word that maybe you've seen come up more often recently, but it's definitely been a thing for some time. Um, But today we're going to talk about deconstruction. Deconstruction. And all that kind of comes along with that. Um, But I don't know. Is deconstruction something... um, I know that maybe the act of it might not be new, but is... Is it kind of newer to you?
1: Yeah, I, I interpret it as kind of a trend. It's a trendy thing right now. Um, and there's a reason why I think it's trendy or trending right now. Um, I really think it's probably been something that's been a part of discussions for a long time. But now it has a label and a name. And it's become kind of fashionable to, to have the conversation. It sounds really intellectual and heady and so you know people are moving toward it because it sounds like that um but you know give it give it two years and we'll be on to something else we'll be on to a different issue and a different word but um it's only recently that i've started to hear it in kind of mainstream christianity and now you hear about it and you go to conferences and somebody's going to mention it or you, you listen to some sort of a christian podcast of some kind it's going to come up or you'll hear preachers addressing it as part of um sermon series but you know go back i would say even maybe five years you never heard about it. Yeah. it was happening people were you know kind of playing around the edges of it but now like i said it's just kind of become this kind of intellectually fashionable thing to to talk about that's my perception of it yeah
0: now i'd probably agree with that um it, it's definitely along a lot of the uh it's kind of like at least from what i've gathered it's kind of like the newer version of like the young restless and reformed bunch who it was just like the new guys that were just like it was a thing to do yeah um very different takes and places they ended up: a deconstructor and a young, less restless, reform person. But it was definitely a fashionable thing for younger um, theologians, people kind of coming out of seminary, um, certain seminaries. And uh, it's very similar to like a college. Uh, what <clears throat> I guess uh, going a lot of students going off to college and the effects that just college in general has on right. certain students. Um, I would say probably the majority of them. But so I guess just to begin, what is this big um, word that
1: people either uh, love or love to hate? Okay, so let me, before I answer your question, let let me go back a step or two. When you and I started this podcast a year ago or so, Our very first episode, we laid down some ground rules. And the gist of some of those rules were we were going to just talk about different topics related to life and faith. And we were going to try to be as honest and authentic to the topic as we possibly could. We weren't going to make things out to be more than they really are. And we weren't going to, you know, hype them up. And so I want to just at the outset, Declare, and I'm very comfortable declaring, I'm no expert on deconstruction or deconstructionism. Um, I'm not the subject matter expert to give kind of the authoritative perspective on this. Um, Really, in all honesty, because I think it's kind of trendy, um, I've given it a little bit of thought but I haven't really done any deep dive down into it because I, I try not to follow trendy things. I got—I was going to say I got more important things to do, but that <laughs> sounded wrong. But yeah, it just trendy things come and go, and so I don't chase after them. Um, so I, I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to answer any of these questions today as some sort of a an expert. I'm going to kind of give you my honest responses to my limited understanding of it. Yeah. And any number of other guests could come on here and, and have done a deep dive into it and, and have a different perspective. So my best understanding of it, just from by way of definition, is basically an analysis of the things we believe and breaking them down uh, I, I guess i've read some of the research i was doing to prepare for the podcast there seemed to be this uh, one line that a lot of the different resources i looked at said it's not about demolition it's about just kind of pulling it apart and breaking it down and asking it new fresh honest questions and then arriving at a conclusion so it, it, it fashions itself as we're not trying to destroy faith. We're just trying to re-examine long-held beliefs about primarily the scriptures. Mm. Um, from, again, from what I could tell from the research that I did to prepare, deconstruction is largely related to literature. Literature being a primary source by which beliefs are informed yeah and so that's where it kind of gets its root I think yeah, yeah so in this case then what's being deconstructed is an interpretation of the scriptures yeah as kind of the primary source of at least Christian beliefs so in evangelical deconstruction might my, my understanding is it's people you know pulling apart and doing an analysis of what the Bible says primarily related to a lot of contemporary issues Mm -hmm. and kind of a a new and progressive understanding of our world and quote unquote truth. And so that's my take is uh, the most innocent intentions related to deconstruction is just an honest, thorough discussion and questions about long-held beliefs primarily related to what the scriptures say. Yeah. Is that your understanding, or do you have a different or bigger understanding?
0: No, no, that's definitely – I do think that that is the most, uh, I guess, naked version of how you can describe it. And by naked, I mean um, without a pro or con – Um, It's just an analysis of these things. Um, And I think that a lot of it, from what I've gathered, and the word deconstruction itself was coined by this guy named Jacques Derrida, which um, did, he he was talking about actual literature, and basically just saying that the meaning of a text is held, or the meaning is nowhere else but in the reader, essentially. Mm. And so it just... um, I guess personal life, every single person can come to a different meaning, and that's true to a certain degree. Um, you can watch a movie, and you can get one thing's going to stand out to you more than me, just based on yes. my life. Yes, That doesn't mean that the entire story is different, though. Um, but that's kind of where I've come or yeah. seen it come from. And then Christians or the church um, have kind of taken this term, and they're trying to rip it apart from the to postmodern people because – what do you know? What era he lived in? Yeah, so that would be uh, I want to say, I know that it was the 20th century. Um, I, I want to say like the 50s, 50s and okay. 60s. Uh, it was actually no, probably even after that. It's probably more like the 70s or 80s, because you get postmodernism kind of rise up in the 50s and 60s, and they were just like, hey, there's no meaning, but there's nothing. That, there's no like actionable steps with the philosophy, and then it gets into um, kind of more of this like applied postmodern theory or, or kind of critical theory, which is it just gives legs and like steps of action mm-hmm. that these people can now take, which is just um, uh, kind of assess everything in the more pernicious side, assess everything and pull it down, um, all these different structures because everything is based on essentially power. Every single interaction, all of the systems, institutions, everything's just those who have power, the oppressors keeping the oppressed down, um, and so that's kind of why you see the church trying to kind of separate it from the postmodern root because mm-hmm. they don't want to—that
1: has a real bad connotation. Yeah, yeah
0: bad, it puts a bad taste in people's mouth, even though it's used in the same way from what I've seen.
1: Okay, so um, if if he's kind of the originator of the, the line of thought or even coining the term, he was looking at literature, and I like what you said is that basically his conclusion was or his guidance was— um, text can mean different things to different people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so then I think what's happening in evangelical or Christian deconstruction is putting the interpreter in the position of authority on how to understand the scriptures rather than really requiring the interpreter to follow the rules of interpretation and really putting the scripture in charge of its truth. Um, An interesting thing that I read is deconstruction has this kind of uh, suspicious nature that says... Well, when Matthew wrote those things, or when Paul wrote those things, or when Isaiah wrote those things, he he couldn't have possibly meant what he wrote. And I'm just, I think that's just bizarre thinking, especially in light of the deeply held belief of inspiration, that God was in fact guiding the thoughts and the words that the authors of Scripture were recording. That's interesting that you say that because
0: um, I've seen now a lot of people use that. <clears throat> I don't even know where most of these people, I guess, the people who are, are doing it, even most of the scholars or, theolo- scholars or theologians, whoever they are, I don't... But um, most of them, I don't know where they land with the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture so that God inspired... yeah, um, the, Every single word is inspired by God, um, yet it's written by human hand, but words are inspired by God, and it is without error. Um, I don't know where they land as far as that goes, but they would say that the very rules you were talking about as far as interpretation goes, those things can't be used or trusted because they were put in place by patriarchal, racist, um, right. homophobic males <laughs> who were just trying to keep their uh, hegemony over, over everybody else.
1: And so... Um, Y- wow, you just got a lot of heavy hitting words there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Well everybody just
0: tossing around nowadays. Figured <laughs> I'd jump on.
1: <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And I think I think it'd be safe to say that thoughts like inerrancy and inspiration were largely jettisoned even by the church. Uh, the larger conglomeration of the church. Inerrancy and inspiration. That was jettisoned years ago in being challenged as whether it's legit well call me old school i still believe in it 100 percent. so um i work from that kind of fixed mooring or that anchor is that no the scriptures are a trustworthy source of god's truth for mankind yeah and so i'm also i'm all for you know the freedom of discussion and asking honest questions and deep diving into, you know, whatever factors influence how we interpret a scripture. I'm all for that. I think deconstruction's something else. It's not about the freedom to ask questions or it's not really about, you know, a critical analysis of the rules and the, 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 the confines of how you handle literature of any kind, let alone the scripture I, it's more than that it's and again just my perspective it's really the search for um, a freedom to rationalize something I wanted to say yeah
0: no absolutely yeah I, I like kind of the caveat you gave because um, like I, I even I've met people that are younger who've kind of come from more uh, I guess legalistic type of I guess backgrounds, or even just families, not even backgrounds, just families. In that, like they, they um, are like visibly uncomfortable, like, uh, not uncomfortable, but they, they do, they actually kind of have this feeling of hate towards people um, different than them, whether that be somebody, uh, like a, a part of the LGBTQ plus community, whoever it may be. Like, there, they're actually, you can tell by the way that they speak about them that there's just something that's, uh, uh, an yeah, it's, it's hateful, judgment. it's anger, yeah. And so, if you want, if we want to call, um, take like that person taking that idea of how they're supposed to treat people who are who who are in sin, like themselves, uh, and that person taking that and 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 examining it and rationalizing it and saying, "Hey, this is obviously not congruent uh, with how Scripture says I should treat people." If you want to call that deconstruction, fine, I'm on board, right? But like you said, it, it has kind of turned into. Um, this this justification of Bonhoeffer, and um, I always keep on forgetting the title. The what's the title of the book we talked about last time?
1: The cost of discipleship.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about how we've we've moved from the justification of the sinner to the justification of sin, hmm. and he was writing this in I don't know, forties nineteen forties, right? Um, but yeah we've started to justify things that we want it to say. Uh, I mean, kind of what we've seen is really just tossing out everything, but the love of Christ. Like you don't really see a whole lot of people deconstructing Jesus.
1: Uh, well, Jesus and his love. Yeah. Jesus in his and love. his love, grace and forgiveness and all that. Yeah.
0: And we, it's also a very narrow sided of what love means. I think.
1: Oh, um, without a doubt. But yeah, I, I don't see deconstruction being talked about in terms of the person who who's like uber christian legalistic judgmental condemning um i don't see it being discussed about that person coming back more toward a middle of grace and truth the balance i see it really about somebody who's left of and I don't mean that from a political standpoint, but kind of left of God's design and God's will. And and what they're doing is obviously um, inconsistent with God's design and God's declarations and really searching for a justification about why a behavior or an attitude, a pursuit, should be allowed. Yeah. Because, well, if you deconstruct these ancient old patriarchal you know rules about how to interpret scripture what we find is that it says something completely different and and it would certainly give give permission to our more progressive understanding of these things nowadays yeah yeah no and
0: and for some reason even early on like in i guess in my faith i mean on the I'm not very old and I don't know very much, but there was still just this feeling that I had. I would hear people kind of, I would ask about those more complicated passages and I would hear people say, well, that was just the culture at the time. And I'm like, there's something that just doesn't feel right about just tossing that verse out because, mm-hmm. well, it was just the culture at the time. Yeah. And if you're going to do that there, why can't you do it everywhere <laughs> right. else? Right. And, and so, I guess going back to, like, inspiration and inerrancy, it's like you run into a lot of logical problems whenever you start um, doing that and trying to mash. We have this assumption that, like, our understanding, a lot of people my age, 20-something-year-old, thinks that they have a deeper moral knowledge than anybody who's ever existed up until the point. And it's like, they, they can't tell you why it's good. It just is, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you see a lot of that just trying to fit um, what they see as being.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that's a new phenomenon. Yeah. That a young person feels sort of a superiority to the previous generation. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's happened throughout all of time. And the, the reason I would say that is because you can go to the book of Proverbs, ancient biblical literature and it talks about the foolishness of the of the young person and they lack the experience and they lack the maturity and they lack the knowledge to truly understand the nature of things and so in their kind of youthful arrogance they they proverbs is displaying them as uh, I got it all figured out and I'll be the exception to the rule and I won't have to face the consequences because I'm smarter than. And so they, the, the Bible, Proverbs, they rush headlong down the path that they're so sure is right. Meanwhile, the older generations go, no, don't go there, don't do that. It doesn't end well. And they're sort of, you know, like thumbing their nose at, you know, the old people. And, and so the, this youthful, person rushes headlong in a direction, and it's in time that they learn the hard lessons. Yeah. Because they were foolish, thinking themselves to be wise, which is language then we read about in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1 and some other passages, uh, Ephesians, where a culture and a society is foolish because it, thinks it's wiser, smarter than, you know, these previous generations. And that's kind of the heart of progressivism is, you know, well, we're making progress and things are changing and they're not like they used to be. And so we think that we'll make a better world if we give people the freedom to, to live this way and to think these things. And really what it is is the fool rushing headlong into danger, but they can't see it. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, the old fogies, the old guys are, you know, trying their best to wave them down, and say, "Don't, don't go there." And they just get mocked and they, you know, they get demeaned as, "Well, this isn't your era anymore and and we're smarter than you." And they just ignore it. And so I think culturally and socially we're we're seeing in very vivid uh demonstrations this foolish plunge into a very dangerous kind of of life
0: yeah no i agree i agree and um and and there also needs to be a balance between i guess progressive uh, progressives i'm not talking about just politically but then progressive minded progress-minded people and conservative-minded people who um so that you can tread carefully as you go forward throughout time um, and not just jump into something uh, without knowing uh, or even examining why that might be foolish,
1: which yeah, is what I said. I I don't think, and again, I'm I'm not using these words politically. I don't think conservative is necessarily risk adverse. Mm -hmm. I don't think that conservative is anti-progress. Conservative is just more calculated in how it goes about change. Um, like, um, I, I've often said, I like risk, but I'm not reckless. Like, I'll do things outside of my comfort zone. I'll, you know, I, I get that the butterflies in my stomach. Like, oh, here I go. This, this, this is risky. But I've never, let's, let's use the illustration of ziplining. I've been on some really great zipline courses um, in Costa Rica and Hawaii and, and over some pretty significant heights and some pretty dangerous, you know, chasms. Um, but I've never stepped off a ziplining platform recklessly. Yeah. I feel all the, the risk. But I've, you know, I'm making sure I'm in a really solid harness. That the carabiners are doubled up, and I watch them lock them in, and I've looked at the rope and I have looked at the line, and so I think I think there's a misunderstanding about conservatives and progressives. Again, non political use of those words. As the conservatives are holding people back because of old f- old ways of thinking, yeah, and I, I don't think it's that at all. I think they're just saying no. Old ways of thinking are valuable truths to inform new new approaches. So, uh, you know what's the old phrase? Um, if you ignore history, you you repeat it. Yeah, you did doing- so I think that's what a conservative is, is somebody who's saying, no, we're not afraid of progress and change. We just don't want to be reckless about it and just throw off all control yeah. about how we go about the change. And, and I think that's true spiritually is, yes, as, as we continue the journey of faith throughout the you know the long arc of history – yeah, we'll, we'll probably come to terms with some new ways of thinking about our faith, but I don't want to do it recklessly, where I'm just throwing off all the old ways as somehow outdated. When in fact, they're the they're the historical staples or moorings to where we've come to this point.
0: Yeah, well, and that's what I appreciate, and I think too. But the difference between um, conservative and progressive is that the conservative person has some things that they're not willing to put on the table, for instance. like They're not willing to put everything up and, re- and re-examine or uh, change everything. There's some things that yeah. they keep in their pocket, and they're like, nope, these things w- are not up for debate. Um, and then it's it's ultimately those things that end up, uh, causing the conflict between the two camps, and whether that just be socially, culturally, or, or politically. Um, and and so there's some things that we're not going to put on the table. And it's also those things, this is why I kind of have an appreciation for the creeds, is that like they kind of outlined, hey, here's here's kind of, not even the creeds, but I guess, yeah, yeah the creeds, and, and then they just doctrine, so, agreed-upon doctrine. Um, throughout time, it's like hey, here's some things uh, that that are concrete that we're going to. Um, I think I've heard it described as like these are close hand, close handed issues. Right. They're not. They're non negotiable. Non negotiable. Um, and there's other things that are open hand, um, but these close hand things we, we can't mess with those. And I, and I and I uh, I worry that a lot of the deconstruction um, movement kind of. Attitude is is poking around in those those yeah. negotiable
1: those non-negotiable ones. Yeah, no, definitely that's that's territory. I don't think just poking around or like diving into. Yeah, because oftentimes the closed-handed non-negotiables are some of the stakeholders on what's keeping them from getting the permission they need to justify what they want. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um again i'm not the expert this is just my take on things but i really feel like this christian deconstruction that's so popular right now is is just a larger reflection of what's happening in our culture in our society where basically we're running headlong into throwing off any kind of responsibility, any kind of accountability to what people want to do. Yeah, and so I think I think what's happening in the Christian version of it is there are a couple of um, uh, social topics that are really uncomfortable for the church, and the church doesn't want to play the bad guy, and the church doesn't want to sound unloving or ungracious it doesn't want to sound exclusive it doesn't want to sound um hard-nosed and so in its attempt to be inclusive and inviting and all are welcome here and you know the love the grace message then what it's doing is to say well we can't we can't talk about some issues like we think the bible talks about them therefore Let's deconstruct the Bible and find a way for it to say what we need it to say. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, it's just some of the hot issue topics right now, hot button issues, I guess would be the better way to say that, are things like abortion and things like LGBTQ and things like gender ideology and trans and all that. I mean, there's just so much going on right there. And just those three topics, and you could add another six or seven or eight. And really, the, the church is trying to find a way. How do we navigate this without seeming like we're exclusive or that we're hard-nosed about these issues? We want everyone to love Jesus and like the church. And and that's all good until it compromises our faith yeah and it and it disobeys the scriptures and therefore there is a there is a there's a very real side of the message of jesus that was exclusive and it was hard-nosed and it wasn't the message of jesus wasn't you can do as you please my love and my grace is sufficient that that was not the message the message, like we talked about this Sunday at, at Cibola Creek, is the message was, I have come because you're condemned already. The nature of sin has left human beings condemned. I came to offer some salvation, some rescue. And the passage we were looking at with um, Matthew is, I've come to call sinners to repentance, to change the way they think and behave to change from a current course of life to do an about-face to follow a Jesus way of life. And that's exclusive. Um, you know, not Jesus, how many times and how many ways did he say, uh, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven unless yeah. you do this, believe this, Um, have this experience he's his message is full of things that could be perceived as very exclusive now again we live in a society that if you don't tell people what they want to hear then you're not loving but it was love that brought jesus to this earth it was god's love god so loved the world that i gotta send my son because these people in their sin are condemned and i want i want to save them and so It is very loving to tell somebody the truth and invite them to change the way they think about their current course. I hope you
0: all enjoyed part one of that discussion. Part two will be coming out next week. If you'd like to hear Paul's sermons from Sunday, you can find those at Cibolo Creek Messages, or you can watch them on YouTube. Again, we'll see you guys next week for part two, but until then, have a good one.